But it's not. <laughs> it's a recorder. Okay, while we wait, hello everybody. Hello. 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 Oh, I say. Okay, it's lovely to be here. Um, I haven't been here for about two, three years, I don't know. Kim and I. So, my wife Kim, if you don't know her, this is her. Beautiful lady, been married for nearly 40 years. Yes. End of this year is our 40th. Okay, uh, and, uh, and I've got two boys, two sons, uh, one's married, uh, I've got two, grand, uh, two children, two daughters, so that means I'm a granddad. Okay, my wife's a beautiful granddaughter, and uh, my other son uh, lives in Wellington, uh, and he's got a doctorate in theology. We have a doctor in the house. Okay, and he's engaged to be married. Yes. And uh, so uh, later this year there will be another wedding on in the cards, and uh, soon in the next few years some more grandchildren. I have. Okay. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's lovely to be here. I, I, I felt this morning off the back of what Kim was sharing, and then just what I've been feeling for you guys as a congregation. Just some thoughts on on. On, on church and Jesus and just with the passion of my heart. I've been uh, part of church life. We were just talking this morning. How many church services have I been to in my life? So I'm thinking, okay, so I was basically born into the church. So probably close to 4,000 Sunday meetings I've been to. Okay, I've looked it up something like that. Ah, that is what it is. Uh, God's been good. You say about the goodness of God. You know, and... Uh, so yeah, so that's been the, my testimony of God's faithfulness and trusting that I've responded to His faithfulness with faithfulness myself, a lot of what you've been sharing. So uh, I just was reading this morning about Krabou being the single largest exporter of fruit in the southern Africa. Am I right? It's true. Yes. It's true. Sorry? Yes. Krabou, the single largest exporter of fruit. Krabou. Yes. No way. That's awesome! Something huge is coming from something so small. That's incredible. It reminds me of the story when uh, Philip runs up, he, he runs up to his friend Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I've seen Jesus. I've, I've, I've He's the one that we're looking for. And he comes from Nazareth and does anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah, and then, then Philip says to Nathaniel, Come and see. Come and see. And I want to say that I'm trusting that as, the, as this church, the life and the testimony of this church grows and unfolds, it will be come and see. We are exporting something beautiful. Much more beautiful than the fruit. Yes. Exporting the very life of Jesus. Something significant is happening. Amen? Amen. Something amazing, not only good, can come from Krabat. Yes. 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 Take it all. 
Wonderful, okay, so, so I'd love to share with you, um, just, I'm actually just going to go through Bible, Bible passage, and the question I ask is a kind of, okay, so what do we want to export? What is it that, that Clover and we as a church and John's James, a healthy church can export? So I thought, well, let me think about if Jesus hadn't been in this morning's meeting, what would have happened? Literally. We would have got a face to faces. <laughs> okay. You would have said, what? Oh, yes, you would have said. You're my boy. Go for it, man up front. Just go for it, man. So, so I'm going to take a, a story from the Bible where Jesus was in a house and share with you just some of the light moments that Jesus uh, lived out in that, in that context, in that home, and hopefully ours will get the kind of church that Jesus wants. The kind of church that Jesus is looking for. Because we can, we can have all the worship stuff, in a, a, all the worship, big worship, we can have everything organized, we can have all the words up, we can have all, all the scriptures up, we can have everything slick. But is Jesus the one that's the life of Jesus being shown? Is the life of Jesus the, the main thing? And uh, so I'm hoping that this morning uh, that we'll all see. I might not get through everything, and I'm not going to give you a lot of scriptures, because I can give you a lot of cross-reference scriptures, but I'm hoping a bit the life yes. of Jesus, and you get hungry and passionate for, for you to be that person that Jesus is inside. And when he's inside of us, we bring that Jesus life into this church and together we, we, we're showing people what a church should look like if Jesus was in the house. Okay. Am I, um, I get very excited when I preach. I have been. My wife says I must be animated. So I'm going to be animated. Okay. So the passage of scripture is from Mark. The book of Mark. Chapter 2. I might need some water because I might shout. I might shout with passion. Not shout at you, shout because I'm. Okay, that's me when I talk about Jesus. Right, um, this is it. From verse 1 to 12. And I will stop, I'll see how I go through this. I'm going to stop and then teach and give you a thought. And what would a church look like? What does a house look like? A family, a house look like when Jesus is there? What would happen? What would happen? What? Okay. And then I'll give you, and in this, I'm hoping the underlying principles that I bring through, I'd love you just to uh, grab a hold and a fresh revelation of what a healthy church could look like and is. Okay. Actually, a healthy church life is when we, to the best of our abilities, with all our hearts, with all our passion, with all our hunger, with all our devotion, are showing people what Jesus is like. Okay. So, this is it. So, Jesus, uh, Mark chapter 1, if you know, uh, Mark, the book of Mark is written by John Mark, but it's actually Peter, the apostle Peter's account of his life with Jesus. So, Peter told Mark to write this down. Yeah, just, that's for free. Okay. <laughs> so, it's quite short, you can imagine. It's summaries, but it's like Peter just saying, I've got so much to tell. This is as short as possible. Thank you very much. Is it back up as well? Thank you very much. Okay, so, so Jesus, Capernaum, was where he was, he was based, Capernaum, the city. 
But then he goes out on a ministry trip. In chapter 1, you'll see chapter 1's incredible summary of ministry, of Jesus' ministry, life and ministry. And he comes back. It says, Then Jesus, verse 1, Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later. And the news spread quickly that he was back home. Is the news spreading quickly that Jesus is in this house? And that is home? Is Jesus finding a home here? Is this where he is comfortable? Is this where he feels the first place that I want to go to in Kabul is Josh Jen? I feel most comfortable there. I feel most welcome there. I feel most well represented there. Okay, these are just thoughts as I'm going through the scripture. Okay, he's home. Soon, this is what happens when the Jesus life comes in. Soon the house we're staying was so packed with visitors. Let me say that again. Soon Josh Jen Ikrabo was so packed yes. with visitors. Come on. Would you say there's a little bit of love at me now? Yes. In the house, and we're getting lots of people. Okay, we're getting lots of people. Okay. But so packed with visitors that there's no more room. Okay. We're looking for a new venue, eh? Oh, we But it's soon. Come on. Yes, this place is too small. Yes. Come on, you think Kabo is small? No. We're going to export some good stuff from here, okay? Hopefully, I'm stirring your hunger and vision and heart for the life that Jesus wants to bring through us as a, as a church and as a people. Uh, hopefully, my passion is also Come stirring on. you a little bit, okay? Okay, there was no more room even outside the door. And they didn't have sound systems, by the way. Okay. So here's the first thing. So Jesus in the house, he feels comfortable, he's in his family, and he says, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start preaching the gospel. So it says, while he's preaching God's word to them, number one, Jesus had a conviction that the gospel is the best news ever. Jesus believed, because he is the good news, he is the good news, believed that as he shared from his heart, the gospel would come out. That Isaiah 61, I've got the right shine, 60, what's the other one? Uh, where the kingdom comes, the proclaim freedom to the captives, and you know, the good news will preach. Uh, all that kind of, he is the good news. So he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching about himself. He's preaching about the kingdom of God. And if we are to be a healthy expression of Jesus' life, we need to be convicted. There needs to be a conviction that the gospel is the best news. It is the best news. Romans 1 verse 16 and 17 says, For the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of anyone and everyone, no matter what race you are, no matter what age you are, no matter what culture you are, no matter what language you are, the, la- the universal power of the language of the gospel is that it saves. The message of the gospel saves. We need to be those who carry uh, a conviction and deep belief and revelation of the beauty of the God's grace and God's love. And I'm going to show you how he lives out that message in this house. 
Man, every single one of us. I got saved. I made a decision in 1970. Okay. And the gospel message keeps saving me. Yeah. I got saved. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying one saying, one saying. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, when I understand the beauty and the power and the glorious message of the gospel, it keeps me going. Keeps saving me. Keeps changing me. Keeps reigniting me. You, you want to hunger for you want to hunger for Jesus? You want to hunger for his church? You want to hunger? Think of the message of the gospel that Christ died for sin. <coughs> and Paul says, and I'm a witness of sin. That's what Paul said. I'm, me too. I could have been saved <coughs> much longer than a lot of you, probably most of you. Maybe I got saved before some of you were even born. But the gospel message keeps me saved. Keeps me close. Keeps me close to Jesus. Gives me passion. Gives me hunger uh, for for His house, for His home. And so I want to challenge us all this morning to revisit consistently what Jesus has done in your life, how the gospel came to you, what the testimony you and I carry. Amen. Is this good? Are we all excited? The gospel. Let's be known as people that preach the truth, that love the truth uncompromising. The uncompromising way. And I need some water. <laughs> Let's tell me when I stop, okay? I'm preaching too long. Okay. So, I uh, want to see if I. What defines your life? Your background? Your culture, your family, broken relationships, sickness, disease, what defines your life? I'm trusting and hoping today, if you haven't fully grasped it, grasped it, understood it, that none of those things should be defining your life. What should be defining your life is the love of Jesus is expressed through the gospel. That defines your life. That gives you purpose in life. That gives you a destiny. That gives you hope. That gives you a future. The gospel. This may be a simple message and basic foundational thing. But this is a reminder to us as a church that was established here at Jostin Church. Never forget the foundation that is a Jostin Church. is a New Testament representing church. is a Bible representing church. That the gospel remains central to transform lives and transform communities. We don't just do the Christian thing. We don't just do it. We are here because we have a message. And it's the message that changes communities. Amen? Yes. Okay, so that's what Jesus would do. We should do the same. We should be a people of conviction. Jesus was a man of conviction. He would bring conviction into the house uh, of the gospel. Amen? Okay, then it says there, While he was preaching God's word for him, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof over his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I want to just picture on those, those four men later. Okay, I'm going to come back to them. Okay, because that's a beautiful picture of the church. Okay, so I'm going to come back to that in terms of our mission. Okay, so I'm going to carry on from there. Jesus said, seeing their faith, Jesus said, to the paralyzed man. 
my child. I'm going to stop right there. Right there. The church should be recognised if Jesus was in the house. What would motivate him is compassion for those in need. Do you notice that Jesus called him child before he forgave his sin? He called him my son before he forgave him on his son. There is something of the love and compassion of Jesus that he saw the need of a man that had been paralyzed and crippled by life. And in those days, just give you a little bit of a background, someone who had been crippled or paralyzed had a stigma test of his life and his sin, and that's why he could. This man lived probably in the streets his whole life, begging, no identity, no destiny, no future. All he had was dependent upon the scraps of people who passed by, of loose chain and crumbs. That's all he had. That's what he had to cling on to life. That was his life. That defined him. His mat defined him. His bed defined him. The words that people spoke of his life defined him. The abuse, the, the accusation, the guilt, the shame is what defined him. And he's brought to the feet of Jesus. And the first thing Jesus does is says, you my son. He had probably been re rejected by his family. Relationships have been destroyed. Family didn't want to know anything about him. He was on the streets. And Jesus said to my son, my son, and I say over every single one of you, I don't know any of you well at all. But this I do know. No matter what your past is, no matter what pain you've been through, no matter what situations or circumstances have brought you to this place right now, some of us, maybe even at this point in time, may feel a little bit of what Timo Sherry is We feel paralyzed. We feel, we feel like there's no destiny, there's no future. All I've got is begging, waiting for scraps. We relate who we are to the money we don't have and to what we don't have materially or to what we don't have gift-wise uh, in our gifts uh, and, and what our position in church. And we relate all these things and it paralyzes us, paralyzes our fear. Paralyzed by emotion, paralyzed by hurt and pain of parents or families. Jesus comes to you and to me. This is my son. The, the, um, the prodigal son runs off in rebellion. I want you dead, he said to his father. Because I think you're dead, I want my portion of the inheritance. He goes and wastes it, squanders it. Comes to a realization that he's messed up big time. And he goes back to his father. And his father is looking a lot for a long way. And he says, I'm just going to come as a slave. I just want to eat the scraps. And the father sees him from a long way and rushes out to him. And, and I can just hear the, the son saying, Father, Father, I. And he says, Shh. Shh. He says, You smell of pigs? Dirty, you haven't bathed, you haven't washed. He kisses him on the lips. 
embraces him. This is my son in there. Sure. The compassion of Jesus. Mm. The compassion of Jesus. Doesn't matter who you are, I want to say that today, every single one of you either can understand it fuller, come to a real understanding of Jesus' love for you and me. That we none of us qualify. I've been serving Jesus for many, many years. I still don't qualify myself. Only Jesus qualifies me. And the beauty of it, he calls me his son, his child. He restores my, he restores my, my, my identity. He restores my identity. What a beautiful picture. Uh, in John, in Mark chapter one, Mark, you can go read it there. I'm not. I'm going to paraphrase. Mark chapter one. There are lepers that come to see Jesus. Now lepers were untouchables, untouchables, and they run to him and they say, Jesus, they are desperate. Heal us, please. Now they say. They say, heal us and cleanse us. But leprosy wasn't just a sickness. It was a matter of purity. It was a matter of unclean in the Bible. And you go look at this verse, beautiful. You see, Jesus says, he touched them. They are touched. touched. The compassion of Jesus. This community needs the untouched. The untouchables need to be touched. People without identity and loss, and, and I know that some of the, the strongholds in this town, I'm telling you now, they're orphans. They are like lost people. They are prodigals. They are, man, the love of Jesus. Is this church known to be a church of compassion? Amen. Water. Number three. Just as I read the scriptures. This is okay. Preachers, I really, really share with you my heart for the church and my love for the church. Man, Jesus has to be central. And the best picture of church life is to look at Jesus. The book of Acts 2, but Jesus. Jesus is, is okay. So then he says, uh, My child, your sins are forgiven. The man didn't even confess. He was, Jesus was doing this because the Pharisees were sitting there, as you see. They see yeah. okay, I'll t- but some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, they were think- uh, and as they were thinking, he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Then he turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man didn't stand up. Jumped up. (laughs) He jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the door, uh, through the stone onlookers, and they were all amazed. Praise God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this. Do you know why Jesus said your sins are forgiven first? The Pharisees were sitting there. The Pharisees were the first one to blame this man for being paralyzed and lame because he had sinned. So Jesus broke every single religious argument right there and then through compassion and through conviction. 
And so he, Jesus was someone who contended compassionately for the salvation of people. Our number one issue is not that you're physically, there's something physically wrong with us. That man was, that man was paralyzed for life. His greatest need was the need of a savior. And this church, Josh Jane, the church of the New Testament, should always be focusing on the fact that we are called here to save sinners through the message of the gospel. We don't save them, but the message does. And reaching the lost. Reaching those who need Jesus. And so with Jesus forgiving this man's sin, he broke the stigma that we attached to his life his whole life. So he not only healed him of his sin and made him pure and righteous and right standing with God, he annihilated the fact that he was an orphan. He annihilated the fact that he had no destiny and no future. Jesus, in that moment, brought spiritual, physical, relational and emotional healing. In that moment, son, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus does a complete work. Is a complete work. And the healing work he does is to heal us from the inside out. And that doesn't always mean, doesn't always mean that we physically heal. But I'm telling you that if we have the healing of Jesus in our hearts and salvation, the healing is complete even if we are sick. I think of all Marie. He was healed and saved on the inside. And cancer took his life, but he's healed and whole today. He lived his healing, although he had cancer. Mm -hmm. We live because we know what Jesus has done in our hearts, because the healing God's brought. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that Jesus came to restore. Mm -hmm. Restore in identity, to restore dignity, restore destiny. That's what he did. The Father said to Jesus, when he came out of the water, from being baptized, Jesus hadn't started, started a, a single message, hadn't preached a message, hadn't started healing anything, nothing, he just baptized in obedience by man, he's God, but man, baptized by John the Baptist, comes out the water and the Father says to him, you're my son, identity, you're my love, uh, security, you're my peace, destiny, I'm pleased with you even before you start to pray for the sick. Even before you start to teach, I'm pleased with you. Let's learn with the understanding that the smile of God is over us. Not the frown. Jesus loves us, man. He digs us, <laughs> he enjoys us. I think, I think we've seen the goodness of God. We, we probably could have done it a little bit more gutsy this morning, if I may say. Because we've seen the goodness. That's good. It's not just like good as in he did a good thing. He's actually perfectly good in every single way. And we responded, Woohoo! He's God! He's kind! He's loving! He's forgiving! And all the rest. <laughs> Forget all the words. So Jesus healed the man spiritually, healed him emotionally, relationally. He could go back home, you could pick up map and go home, the place where you've probably been rejected from, go back. 
You now have a place. You now have a family. How do we do with people that are there? Do they have a home? Do they have a place here? A home. And then he healed, the, he healed his physical being. There may be some of you today that are physically sick. And I believe that God can heal you today. From physical. From physical ailments and diseases and sickness. Wherever Jesus was, that house was a house of miracles. Wherever Jesus was, that was a house of miracles. So he preached, he loved, he ate, miracle. House of miracles. He healed him. And he took that which is mundane, the everyday life, and he changed it supernaturally. I want to show you something which I've done in other contexts quickly. So. You know when Jesus turned water into wine, the first miracle is in John. Jesus turned water into the wine, water into wine. Okay, you remember that miracle? I think I read. I don't know which context I said this in. Anyway, I keep tra- I show this in different contexts because it's just mind-boggling. Okay, there's H2O. Praise the Lord. H2O, okay. So this plain average water that Jesus put into, into clay jars. Okay, I'm, I'm going to show you now. Sorry, the, no, no, okay, stay. I'm going to pull you now. Okay. So the water that Jesus chose to use was water that he used to wash people's feet as they came in out of jars that were just average. They were probably the jars that came out of the clay pottery that were either cracked or broken or they were behind the door as you come in the door. Do you get the picture? They weren't smart, they weren't all naked, and they, they were just normal average jars. And he chooses jars on purpose. So he takes and he puts normal average water into a normal average jar. So you can come up now again. That's, that's the chemical composition of wine. He changed the chemical composition of water totally. Do you get it? Water. H2O into, I can't even say it. Do you think if God can do that to average water in an average jar, he can use your average life, your normal Average person, he can be a lot He can. If you can change the chemistry, if you can change the chemistry of water, you can change the chemicals in your body. He has got control. When Jesus comes into the house, it's miracles. At the end, when we land this, I've got a song about miracles, about this being out of miracles that I just want to soak in. And just receive healing. Uh, we don't need to necessarily pray, laying hands on for healing, because Jesus is here. Hopefully, are you sen- I'm hoping you're sensing as I'm sharing that the bit of Jesus that I have makes him almost like more real and present here. I don't know. Yes. Hopefully, you feel that, okay? Okay. So he healed the sick and he said, Stand up. Stand up. And then the next thing, there would be. Sorry, I like my C, so it's conviction. 
what, what are the compassion? Contending for the freedom of the captives. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what we do. We contend. We fight for those who need salvation and healing. And then he leaves a compelling testimony. A compelling testimony. He said, stand up the new you. You're a child. You're a son. You belong. This is your new identity. Stand up. Stand in who you are. No longer defined by your paralysis. Stand up. This is who I am now. And he says, pick up your bed. He didn't say leave your bed. Your bed, your crippling paralysis, whatever held you back for years is now your testimony. People are going to see you walking down the road with your mat. And they're going to say, there wasn't that the man that was paralyzed. He said, I meet Jesus. This church is going to grow. They're going to hear Jesus is in this house when there's, when there's stories upon story upon story of compelling testimonies that get people to want to come. So Jesus is doing that. Lives are being changed. People are getting healed. People are getting saved. People are being made whole. Compelling testimony. Pick up your bed. Come on. This is your testimony. Now you've got this bed. It's no longer has a hold over you. You have a hold over it. You're no longer restricted by it. You're set free to share it. And bring others into freedom. Bring others into place of standing and picking up their bed. And picking up what they, their testimony. The, leper, the lepers that Peter used to add. You go the priests and tell them and show them that you're clean and that you're healed. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm getting very very passionate about this. Okay. okay. He would restore destiny. He would restore future. That's what he do. That's what we, we do. We don't just bring people into salvation and that's it. We say now you've got a purpose. Now you've got a mission. Now you've got a testimony. The book of Acts. The book of Acts. Is this dramatic? I'll share it a little bit. He says this dramatic story of Paul going through shipwrecks and imprisonments and beating and everything. He gets to Rome eventually, and the last verse kind of says, "Well, Paul welcomed everyone into his house and preached the gospel." So, like, feels like that's only climate. What happened after that? Paul in Rome, this is where he wanted. No, Luke ended it like that because he said, "Now your story." Now it's your turn, my turn. For my story, my testimony, my life, God's story. As long as I'm alive, as long as I have breath, I have a God's story to live. I have a God's story to tell. Amen. Every single one of us have a testimony. Live it. And you live it out in, the, in wherever you're living, in the workplace, whatever. And then I want to come on to. Can I kind of land this now? Quickly, and let me. What are you going to do? I'm going to land, I'm going to land the mat. Now I'm going to go back to this, this four friends that helped him. And I think this is the one that I want to encourage you with. Because I think Jesus would have instilled that. These, people, these four men, seeing they couldn't get to Jesus, they knew we knew to put him at the feet of Jesus. This is not just hearing about it, this is about encounter. Mm -hmm. This is about personal revelation. This is about Jesus 
we need you now. I need you to encounter this man. Now I need, we believe you can try. So they made a hole in the roof. There's an obstacle, but there was no obstacle. And I call it courageous faith. See. <laughs> courageous faith. What a beautiful picture of the church of friends carrying their friend and putting it at the feet of Jesus. It's a picture of ministry of our compassion and concern for people in need. We're willing to carry them, but not for my sake, not for not that I look good, that my ministry looks good, that I've got this gift of healing or this gift of prophecy or whatever it is. I bring them, even prophetic words. Here it is. But at the feet of Jesus, and this word of encouragement is to bring you closer to Jesus, to encounter with Jesus, to loving, uh, to loving Jesus more. There's this courage that needs to come within us. Courage when, when uh, God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. It wasn't like feel strong and courageous. Yeah. I want to tell you, when we planted the church in Mossel Bay, <laughs> it was scary. It was scary. I was just reading the other day um, about Jesus sending after feeding the five thousand. I think that came uh, the prayer meeting this morning. After feeding the five thousand, he sends the disciples to the other side because he goes up the mountain to pray. And he says that it says, and he saw the disciples on the lake and the sea and the wind, and they're struggling at the horse. They're straining at the horse into the wind. And he saw it, and he says he went down to meet them, and he gets in the boat. And they're fearful, and when he gets in the boat, there's no fear. The way we position ourselves in Jesus, with Jesus in our boat, we may fear, we may feel fearful. But when we trust, that's where courageous faith comes in. Yes. It's actually not about feeling, feeling scared, or feeling not feeling scared. Yeah. I've always said the fear of the, fear of the Lord keeps us close to Jesus. Yeah. Doesn't scare us the fear of the Lord, not the storm. Yeah. Keeps us close to Jesus. Finally, I want to say just like this, uh, and this is it. This is where yesterday the, at the kids' church time, we said we're preparing for the kids, kids ministry and everything. What is the one thing? If I could leave anything with you this morning, is when Jesus in the house, it says people just flow and it's all captivated by the presence of Jesus. Yeah. Are you coming here on Sunday morning as religious? So you do it on Sunday, you take calm on Wednesday because it's just changing calms. Or do you do it because there's a little bit of Jesus in every single one of us. And when I come to church, when I come to come, I experience a little bit of Jesus coming towards me. And I a little bit of Jesus towards them. And I want to encounter Jesus. Because Jesus is all of us, we say. When we come to church, when we come to be honest, the worship, does our worship represent a singing songs? There's a singing, absolute infatuation, the most beautiful King of Kings, Jesus.